Good afternoon, New York, and the rest of our listeners around the globe. My name is June Stoyer, and I'm the host of the Organic View Radio Show. Our podcast is available on iTunes, Zoom, and you can also visit our website at www.theorganicview.com. If you'd like to be on the show or would like to find out about sponsorship opportunities, please contact us at questions at theorganicview.com. Today's show is sponsored by Eden Foods, the most trusted name in certified organic clean food. When you shop online at EdenFoods.com, enter the coupon code ORGVIEW to receive 20% off any regularly priced items, excluding cases. For other promotional offers, please visit TheOrganicView.com's website. And don't forget to check out our contest section. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking to The Organic View's favorite kitchen chemist, Ms. Kayla Fioravanti, who is an author now. She wrote a wonderful, wonderful book, How to Make Melt and Pour Soap Base from Scratch. Now, have you ever wanted to learn how to make your own soap or even start a small side business to generate a little bit of extra cash flow? Soap making seems to be a lost art, but thanks to Kayla Fioravanti, many people are finding that it's not as difficult as you might think. Recently, Kayla published her new book, which not only gives a complete idiot's guide type in-depth instruction for making your own soap, but also provides a myriad of resources, reference materials, and descriptions so that anyone can have fun making homemade soaps. So I'd like to welcome Mrs. Kayla Fioravanti, who's the chief formulator from Essential Wholesale Labs and is also the star of the hit series on YouTube, Kitchen Chemistry with Kayla. So good afternoon, Kayla, and welcome back to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Everybody absolutely loves you. I cannot tell you that. You are one of the most popular guests that I have on the show. And the thing is is that it's interesting when new people find out about you, they they just want more and more and more. So when you told me that you were about to publish uh, your new book, let me tell you, you made so many people happy. Oh, thank you. That's very sweet of you. Now, Kayla, uh, before we talk about the book, for listeners that are not familiar with all of the things that you've done and uh, all the, the just wonderful things that you uh, are doing with um, kitchen chemistry with the with the series. Can you talk? Can you talk about your background and what you do for Essential Wholesale? Yeah, um, basically, my husband and I started Essential Wholesale, and we originally got into the bath and body and soap making industry um, back when we made the um, soap for Christmas presents in 1998 because we couldn't afford um, we couldn't afford gifts that year, and so. We made these presents, and with it, um, my husband had the great idea to have a reorder form in case they really liked it, which now we're like, that might have been tacky, but it worked. People went, you know, I really do like the soap, and not only did they buy it, but then they told their friends and family about it, and we just kind of kept growing from there. And so this business that started in our home, um, you know, it's just this gifts and, and a little bit of side income, has grown into um, a multi-million-dollar company that now occupies a 30,000-square-feet building, and um, we're a long ways from our kitchen. And so I'm the chief formulator for Essential Wholesale. We specialize in natural and organic, um, and we, uh, you know, make everything you can imagine from pet care, baby care, everything for personal care, um, mineral makeup, and you know, everything that you possibly could need in your bathroom or home for cleaning yourself or your home or your animals or your pets um, or to beautify as well. And so basically that's that's what in a nutshell we do. And we also sell all of the supplies that we um, manufacture with in bulk for people who want to make their own cosmetics from home. We also sell them in bulk so that if they want to just buy them and package them, they can do that. or they can have us package it for them and put the labels on and send it, you know, either to them or to the store. So it really we've kind of made ourselves available to anyone who wants to be in business at whatever level they want to be in. Um, some people want to be hands-on, and some people just 
have an idea and they want us to make a product and they're going to promote it. So, you know, we're, we're kind of made ourselves available for everyone because when we got started, nobody would work with a small business. You know, they were like, if you want to buy 10,000 pieces, then, you know, we'll make your product. And we were like, um, looking around our little 800-square-foot apartment going, where would we store that? <laughs> and so when we got into business, our goal then was to be um, available for that person who's living in whatever size apartment and has an idea um, and be able to, to reach them wherever they are um, and help them with their business. So. That's kind of in a nutshell what we do with Essential Wholesale. Um, we also have a division called Essential Labs, and that specializes in where somebody's come and have a specific idea around, um, you know, a particular ingredient, and they want us to custom make products around it, um, or their their ideas that they want to be, um, you know, a totally nut-free product line or a vegan or you know something specialized. And then we'll develop their product for them, and it's made just for them, and um, send it out uh, to them, finished and labeled and ready for the store. Um, and then we have Essential U, which is our education um, side of things, where we educate about business, aromatherapy, soap making, um, ingredients, organic, all sorts of things. Um, and and that's been, you know, just a great passion of ours uh, is is educating which kind of led us to Kitchen Chemistry, which is our video series, where we just kind of really show you very simply how to make some basic things from home and and just giving you, you know, simple recipes to, to follow. And we try and keep them nice and short so you don't have to, you know, watch me sit there and measure. I just want you to be able to quickly see how to, <laughs> how to do the mixing. Originally, when we started, I'm like, this video is getting long, and so now we've made them, we try, our goal is to be two to four minutes, um, somewhere in there, so you just get a really quick education on, on um, one product. And then that, of course, led us into um, the where we are now, which is writing books. And the first one just came out um, last month, and that's how to make milk and pour soap from scratch. And that now, basically... With, with, Oh, I was going to say now with the uh, with the Melton Pour soap base, uh, can you just explain why this particular subject and why it's it's something that has never been done before? Well, basically, Melton Pour soap base used to be a product that you could only buy in bulk from a supplier, and um, and there were no recipes on how to buy, how to make this Melton Pour soap that is very popular for crafters because you can just buy it, cut it up, melt it in your microwave, add scent, add essential oils or whatever you want to do to, to make it your own, and, um, and then package it and sell it. And so it's a very popular base, but, it, but the formulas were really well hidden, and no one could find them, and we were getting lots of requests for the recipes, um, and we were getting requests for us to also sell Melton Pour soap which we didn't do because we specialize in things that we make ourselves. And so um, so I set out basically on a quest to figure out how to make this mountain pour soap. And um, as soon as we got that all figured out and started working with it, we had outgrown our space. We're in 30,000 square foot um, building right now, and there is just no room for us to cool 8,000 pounds of soap, um, which is the size of a batch we would make. Um, so we just started thinking about it and decided, you know, instead of continuing this long industry secret, we would just I would just write a book and share how to do it so that people could make it. Um, the prices of Mountain Pour soap were getting kind of outrageous, I thought, um, and this, I think, will create some competition. Um, anyone now with this book could go into the business of becoming a bulk manufacturer of um, Mountain Pour soap or they have the ability to just make their own size batches um, and just control every aspect of their soap-making business. And a lot of people were not using Melton Pour soap, yeah, excuse me, were not making Melton Pour soap because they wanted to have their hands in every part of making their product. Mm. And because the recipe wasn't out there, they just, you know, were not, were not involved in it. And so they were excited to get this opportunity to, 
makes all their products themselves. And kind of this is that typical glycerin soap that people are familiar with, the clear stuff that, um, you know, several brands have a clear glycerin soap is what they label it. Um, and that's what Melton Pour Soap basically is, that sort of base. And it's very interesting that you chose to be as bold as you have and go the distance and not just offer the uh, new business owner or the hobbyist the opportunity to buy very high quality and pure ingredients, but you did the un- the unthinkable and you published the recipe. I'm just curious, what has been the response from the industry? You must have made a lot of friends by doing this. We actually did. I just was at the Handcrafted Soap Makers Guild um, conference in Miami um, in May, um, and and people were like sitting in the class going, "Are you really going to tell us how to really make mountain pork from scratch? <laughs> you really can, and, you know." And, um, and there were people who were really well respected in our industry sitting in there, and I was a little intimidated, going, "Oh my gosh, they like there's there's um, uh, Kevin Dunn, he." Like Caveman Chemistry is is a book that he wrote, and he's like just the guru of all soap. And he was sitting there in my class, and I'm going, okay, a little intimidated. But anyway, I talked to him afterwards, and he was like so excited, you know, to have these books. This book. Did he bow down and stare in amazement? <laughs> yeah, he was like, like, really, you're excited? And and uh, and he was well, he was excited to to do this, and and I had challenged everybody to now take this information and. Start experimenting and see where you can go with it. You know, this is a beginner's guide. It's to get you started. I am working on the intermediate guide as well, but there's a lot of really smart soapers who, you know, have had a lot of experience making soap um, more than me. They just didn't know how to make this. And um, so now that I, you know, feel like I've given those out there, this recipe out there, I'm excited to see what people do with it. I think it'll really change the soap industry. Without a doubt, and the thing is, is that as you mentioned before, Kayla, with so many people needing uh, to know this information due to different uh, health concerns or health-related issues pertaining to the skin, uh, for some people they don't have a choice. They need to make sure that each and every ingredient meets up to their own personal standards just because of the fact that uh, they have not been able to find a product out there that doesn't uh, irritate their skin. So by right. doing this, you basically uh, you basically gave all the keys away to everything, and it's a really wonderful contribution to the industry because now people can actually uh, control this themselves, and that's mm-hmm. just, it, it's just tremendous. Uh, now we've had a uh, number of questions. Um, one particular question is, well, these are some of the, I'll just read some of the comments. Uh, Dea was saying that she made a comment in the chat room that she didn't think that you could make Melton Pour at home, and she always thought that you had to buy it, and uh, she's just completely amazed. Uh, And she asked a question. She said, is glycerin soap better for the skin? Well, you know, there's, there are um, two schools of thought on it, you know, and and people who make the natural um, soaps, you know, they're diehard and love um, the natural soaps as opposed to the glycerin soap, and there are some differences between them. But um, they both have the same job, which is to clean the skin, and they both effectively do that, um, and just, you know, equally effectively. Um, the negative side of uh, of a traditional natural soap is that the pH can be anywhere from a 9 to 11, which can be hard on the skin and especially the facial skin. And whereas the smelt and pour glycerin soap um, is a lower pH, which makes it milder and easier to use as a, as a face wash. Um, but both of them are super effective as cleansers. And the other nice thing about, like, the glycerin soap, um, when you when you make handmade soap, the traditional kind, the soap is saponified. I mean, the oils in it are saponified and changed, um, and that's how, you know, they're chemically changed in the process. And so with this melt and pour soap, uh, one of the recipes I give is taking is making the soap 
and then adding shea butter to your soap or adding mango butter or cocoa butter or olive oil or anything like that. And that moisturizing content and the and the chemistry of the oil or butter that you add remains the same. And so it can be moisturizing to your skin at the same time as, as you're using it, um, whereas once it's been chemically changed in a handmade soap, um, it, it's, no, it's no longer as moisturizing as it would be when you've still got the oil um, in its complete form. Does that make sense? Yeah, oh, of course. Okay. Now, just out of curiosity, for a new soap maker, is mm-hmm. it more economic to make your own melt and pour, or do you recommend that a newbie just buy something that's already made? Well, it's going to be um, similar. Basically, what what always makes a big difference in in when you're starting out as a newbie is that you're normally buying the smallest quantities of everything, and so the cost is highest on the smaller quantities, and when you buy larger quantities, the price goes down. And so the same is true when you're buying the ingredients for making this um, product um, as opposed to buying it in bulk. So there's kind of a, uh, you know, 50-50, it's either way. Um, you have more time involved in making it, although it's super simple and um, and it's not nearly as hard as making traditional cold press soap um, but um, but you do have that element of time and so if you're making really small batches that element of time can really add up um, you know if you're paying yourself or not which a lot of people don't pay themselves early on so that it when when the batches are small um, that would be the biggest thing that costs more is the amount of time that you put into it you mean you're supposed to get paid no I'm just yeah, no, is that funny? <laughs> you should at least price your product as if you're paid so that someday when you pay somebody, the price is already in the product. And that is really excellent business sense. Uh, So for those of you that are contemplating whether or not you should dabble in the soap-making business, uh, you know, there are a lot of things to consider. Now, for a newbie, where would you recommend that they start out and exactly – what should they start off making? Say, say if you want to just do something that maybe you want to just start preparing during the summer months for the upcoming holiday season, which is right around the corner. What would you recommend? Um, There's two big things to take into factor. One is how often a product is used and how quickly it's reused up. So using when you're doing soap and shower gels and body lotions and things that your whole body uses, um, people use it faster and rebuy more often as opposed to buying, making mineral makeup where you only use a little bit. A long, it goes a really long ways, and so they don't rebuy. They just might rebuy when you put another color out. So, uh, you know, that's a big factor in, in looking at things is how often are people going to buy this product? How necessary is it? Um, and then the other big factor is what you're passionate about. I mean, I don't recommend making soap if you're passionate about bath bombs um, or, or the other way around. So you you really should be um, focused around the things that you're passionate about. But, like, if you're passionate about lavender, you can do all sorts of things with that. You can do bath bombs and soap and lotions and all sorts of different things if, if it's something that can go into all of the, you know, all of those bases. Now, my next question, uh, and this is coming actually from Comfy Paws on Twitter, it pertains to insurance. And uh, the the comment on Twitter is that um, insurance for soap-making side businesses is about $500. It's a fun hobby, but for some people that's a little steep. How would you recommend trying to... um, deal with that that fee that's you know, for a small business owner that is a very large amount especially if you're trying to do something say if you're on a very limited budget or if uh this is just kind of a hobby to where you're just kind of dabbling you know do I want to do this do I want to see if I can actually sell something or you know uh, how it's going to go especially in this economy uh how right. would you recommend dealing with this 
Well, I mean, it's a couple of things, you know, how you look at it. Uh, insurance is a cost of business, and um, insurance is cheaper than a lawsuit. So, you know, it's <laughs> very a, good point. It's a very valuable thing. Um, you can get more, um, pretty affordable insurance through indie, um, indie business, um, which is she supports all sorts of, of um cosmetics and soap businesses um and you can also get it through the um handcrafted soap makers guilds as well and that makes it a you know more affordable way to do it and matter of fact it's so much cheaper than it was um when we got started when we got started there wasn't organizations like that that had insurance and we had to go directly to the insurance companies and it was much more expensive and um you know, basically, you can use it as a as a reason not to get into business, or you can just use it. You know, basically, you price it into your cost of your product, so that over the year, because you're not going to pay five hundred dollars. You know, I actually don't do the, the books and and that sort of thing, and whether whether it gets paid once a month or every twelve months, but you can talk to um, both indie business or um, handcrafted soap makers guild to find out, you know, how often you'd have to pay. But as long as you, you just price it into your product. So a cost of business is insurance, um, paying somebody, even if you're not paying them up, anybody up front, um, your raw ingredients, um, you know, if you're, not make, if you're making it in your home, then you don't really have a location cost. But um, uh, it can become a stumbling block that keeps you out of business or it could just become a part of business and and you just embrace it and move forward because I personally am so glad we went forward and did not go into business when we got started because we started with 50 bucks and uh, and just kind of kept reselling um, and building our business from there. And I'm glad that we didn't decide not to do it because of the cost of insurance. Yeah, that's that's a very big consideration uh especially if you're starting a business and perhaps if you're at a point where you can't quite afford it perhaps it's best that you just take things on a slower you know on a smaller slower pace rather uh until you're at a point where you can afford it uh and then it should make more sense from a business perspective but before before anyone should begin especially if you're looking to do this as a business you should really put together a business plan to see if it makes sense especially given the current economic uh situation now Kayla we have a call uh or caller rather uh and is this Daya did I say that correctly yes, yes hi June Hi, good it's afternoon. One of those, those mad days when the phone's ringing off the hook and the door <laughs> bell's ringing and, oh, brother, and I'm trying to take a moment for myself. It's one of those days. <laughs> well, it's always great to have I'm calls sure, I'm sure from all of you know about that. <laughs> of course. Do you have a question for Kayla? Yeah, I've um, been kind of swaying towards soap making for a while, mm-hmm. and I wanted to know the... Well, I was I was pleasantly surprised to know that we can make melting pour at home. First of all, right. that's great. Um, what about cold pressed soap? Is that difficult um, it, to make uh, from home? No, it's not very difficult at all. Um, it is slightly more difficult and time consuming than making your melting pour soap from scratch, um, just because there's a you know a time process basically where the stuff where it cures, and with melt and pour soap, the formulas in my book, um, mm-hmm. if anything goes wrong, you can just melt it down and fix it. Um, and yeah. when you're doing the cold process, if something goes wrong, a lot of times you just have to scrap the batch. Now, so, do you always have to use lye with the uh, cold uh, pressed soap? Yes. Yeah, it has to, yeah, that's how you saponify um, the soaps and turn them into soap. Otherwise... You just have, you know, oils, which you can use oil to clean your skin. It does clean your skin, so um, it just takes some education to your consumer. Now, can we? Can I just inter, interrupt for a moment? I just want to briefly talk about the lie subject because uh, I don't know how long ago it was, but on the Dr. Oz show, apparently he 
he talked about the use of lye in soap, and apparently everybody went crazy trying to find soap that didn't have any lye in it. So, Kayla, can you just take a quick moment to explain what it does, why it's necessary, and whether or not it's something that is uh, harmful to your skin? Right. I watched the Dr. Oz um, episode, though, that he put out, and basically that's, um, it was a little bit frustrating because your skin does not come in contact with lye the way that he was putting it in contact. Basically, mm. lye is used in a formulator, in a formula to um, create a reaction, and what it reacts with and the lye are changed into something totally new. They're now a new ingredient. So, like, you don't read on your soap. You know, sometimes people write olive oil and lye on their ingredient list, but the correct thing, that's what went into the pot. But what comes out of the pot is now a saponified olive oil, um, which is um, sodium olivate. So the new ingredient really is it's something altogether different. Now, that new thing that comes out is completely safe and has been used for generations. Lye itself, um, before it's been reacted, is dangerous, and you do have to use a lot of safety precautions. And soap makers, um, and I went into it in great depth in my book because I think it's a very serious subject when it's unreacted, and, and you do need to take great caution while using it. But once you have made your product, there's no safety concern because it has turned into something completely new. That's that's good to know. Listen, do um, I know that with cold press you have to let it set for several weeks mm-hmm. to cure. What but, about melt and pour? Uh, you're ready to use it immediately. Oh, yes, yeah. it's done. It's yeah. done um, right away, and you're you're able to either cool it and store it to work with it later, um, whenever you want. You can cut off pieces of it and, and scent them however or color them however you want. Or right out of the pot, as soon as you're done making it, you can scent and color and, you know, do whatever you want it to do with that particular base and pour it into molds and sell it immediately. Well, I thank you for answering my questions. Mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm really enjoying this. Thank, thank you. you so much, Taya. I appreciate the okay. call. and thank uh, you. Tell us- Oh, you're very welcome. And, Kayla, thank you so much for answering the question about why. I know that after that after that segment aired, there were a lot of people that were basically uh, going crazy trying to find soap uh, that contained, that, that was free of lye. So um, I, I think people... And even soap has it. So all soap is made with a reaction of lye, even the soap from this recipe. Yeah, it's just interesting how information can be given to the public in in many different methods, and Mm -hmm. it's amazing how you can take something and very easily miscommunicate a a key point. And, um, you know, it's, uh, well, then again, that's why people should really check out uh, your Kitchen Chemistry series, which, as I said before on previous segments that you've been on, Kayla, uh, Martha Stewart can't, (laughs) she can't hold a match to you with this one. Uh, Her staff can try to write scripts for it, but you really have to be an expert in the field that you're in especially, and it's not something that you could just wing, you know. Uh, But now the next thing that I would like to talk about is the way that you actually formatted your book. It's Mm -hmm. extremely comprehensive. I mean, you basically, for someone that is picking up this book, and I happen to have um, my copy right in front of me, Mm -hmm. not only do you have recipes in here, but... You made it a point to talk about the process in phases. Why mm-hmm. did you choose to uh, discuss the phases as opposed to just do what everybody else does, which is you know list your ingredients and then directions, step one, step two, step three? Right. Um, I thought well, that was very writing, clever. Oh, I'm writing, well, th- that's the language of cosmetic formulating. So I'm writing ah. as a cosmetic formulator. 
and um and i and i always i i take great um in pride in what i do and i want to kind of pass on those kind of steps to people who are new to the industry. We basically operate in phases. So phase one, phase two, you react the two phases or whatever steps are always written that way. And um, so basically I was using, I was using um, the language of cosmetic formulating, and, uh, but I try and write it in such a way that even if you're not familiar, because if you actually picked up a formula, you wouldn't have all this detailed information on each phase. You're just expected to know it because you're already a formulator. So um, so I wanted to make it so not only did you use the right language, but also um, no matter whether you had never made something in your whole life before or you've made thousands of products, you could follow the recipes um, and, uh, and, and keep it super simple so that it, it really just didn't matter where you were in um in your walk or, or experience with um formulating. So to me the more the you know, there are recipes like cooking, there's a lot, you know, reactions and that sort of thing, but um cosmetics are kind of different and so I wrote it in phases. Now what's also interesting is that you have uh just so many different resources in here. Mm-hmm. Is there is there even Anything that is available to uh, to any of the, the uh, industry members, if you will, that can really equate to this, because this is really comprehensive. I mean, you've got all sorts of definitions and whatnot. I mean, any any person that is starting off from scratch can literally pick up this book and follow your instructions and wind up with product. Right. And my goal was to make it easy because when I got started back in 1998 when I started researching, it was so much work to find suppliers and and where to get this and and reeling um, descriptions um, that weren't really, or, you know, definitions that weren't related to somebody's um, agenda. You know, a lot of times if you're researching an ingredient, a lot of different organizations or companies will have an agenda-oriented description of that ingredient. But I wanted to give a scientific description of that ingredient that was unrelated to my personal opinion of whether I think it's the greatest ingredient on the face of the earth or I personally wouldn't use it. I, of course, wouldn't write a book using things that I personally wouldn't use. But... um, but my my goal was to make this um, uncomplicated, so that uh, you would be able to find where to get the lye. Because I don't sell lye. Um, I do the local people who can walk in and pick it up. But most lye is sold, um, you know, locally. You would want to buy it local, um, or there or from a company who ships it and has a specific shipping. Um, uh, you have to be certified a certain way to do that, and so. I included that sort of resource information and and even like where certain kinds of mixers could be found and bought because that was one of those things that took me all this time to find and learn and why not just make it so that if you get started it's really simple. I put in the detailed information about GMP and how you which is good manufacturing practices in cosmetics and how you could make that work in your home so that um, people wouldn't be too intimidated by, uh, you know, when they look on the FDA.gov site and go, oh, I can't do that. So I wanted to give them what the FDA says and some tips on how they could make that work in their home. Now, it's interesting that you mentioned that lye is something that you should purchase locally. Why is that? I mean, especially since many manufacturers tend to buy the cheapest thing, which is, Usually coming from China, why would it be? Why is it important that they buy it locally? Well, um, why when you ship uh, when you ship it, you have to have a certain certification, basically, because when it's unreacted, it has a higher hazard rating for shipping. And so, buying it locally, you skip, you know, just having to, to have that shipment, having a risk of it breaking in shipment and 
you opening up a box that has lye, you know, scattered everywhere. Or so, so the one that I gave was a national one, but it's one that that's what all they do is specialize in shipping lye and making sure it gets to you safely. Um, so that, that was my, my purpose behind, um, you know, local. We sell lye because um, we manufacture with it, but you have to be in, my, in our neighborhood and be able to walk up and come get it because um, we don't specialize in just shipping lye. Okay. Thank you for answering that. Now, my next question is the material data safety sheet. Can you explain to our audience what exactly the material safety data sheet is and why someone that is starting out or why someone who is involved with the industry should even collect one? Well, if you're making soap, um, and that means that you're using why, and um, if you use a ingredient that has a certain hazard rating, then you're supposed to collect the material data safety sheet. So, um, so just by nature of making recipes from this or any soap book, that puts you in that category of, of businesses who should be collecting them. And so then I just wanted to d describe in good detail what exactly one, one was because sometimes people are a little intimidated reading them because they were meant to be written for chemists and um, they follow a certain format and you can read them and go, uh-huh, um, I, I don't get it, but it's basically meant to. Or you could read it and it looks like, wow, this is so scary, I should never use this. Um, the information was meant to be given to you so that when you're using the ingredient in its raw form, how to safely handle it. When you've now made it into a product, um, it's now no longer dangerous. Um, or once, you know, something, you know, some ingredients can be great at 1%, but, you know, not so safe or can be corrosive or something like that um, in, in full percentages. So I basically just kind of wanted to demystify MSDSs and let people know that if they're making soap, they should be collecting the MSDS for lye. And it's especially important if there is something that goes wrong. Uh, I don't exactly know all the things that uh, obviously you would when it comes to the soap-making soap industry, what could go wrong as far as a finished product, but it's also a great paper trail just to basically uh, cover yourself. Right. That and as well as if you're making it in your home um, or in your business and your building catches on fire, um, MSDXs or an area were to catch on fire, um, they're, they're used for the emergency responders. Um, so here's what I know what's in the building. This is explosive, this isn't. That's kind of the other purpose behind them. Um, so it gives you that paper trail if there was actual an emergency on the premises of your, of your building. Now, my next question is about safety. When it comes to making soap, I mean, there there have been people that have been making soap for many, many years. And the thing is, is that uh, there are certain uh, precautions that you should take, uh, especially if you're looking to do this on a larger scale where you're producing product for re retail. Um, what are some of the key safety precautions that people really should pay attention to that often they don't, and uh, do you have any advice for if you have people that are helping you or employees that are assisting in the soap-making process, uh, are there any guidelines that they should be following? Oh, yeah, definitely. There's uh, the, the main thing is when you're handling the lie, um, before you've reacted it and just as it's reacting. So, um, because it's got a really high pH and it's caustic and it can burn the skin. So you're supposed to always wear safety goggles and, um, you know, gloves. And um, during the reaction, there's a little bit of a steam reaction that comes up, and so it's good to have a mask on as well during that. Um, you know, a ventilated area, those are key things. And then, you know, some, some of the things that I've heard about soap makers, problems have all been related to um, 
kind of losing track of their lie, not paying attention to what they're doing, and somebody comes in the room and knocks it off, or it wasn't clearly labeled. So if you're making something with it and you've reacted to the lie and you have it setting aside, it should be clearly labeled so that anybody who comes into the room while you're manufacturing, they know that is lie and I shouldn't go anywhere near it. Um, and then uh, I, that would be the key thing. And then, you know, MSDSs are required if you had um, employees helping you make soap. Um, also, you know, important not to, I don't let my kids come in the room while I'm doing the lie step because I just don't want any mistakes to happen. Um, I don't want them to come in and uh, think it's, you know, something else or, or knock, it, knock it over um, because it can burn the skin. And then you always should have vinegar on hand uh, whenever you're does, making soap. What does vinegar do? Vinegar, one, it helps you use it to dilute the reaction, but the pH, it, it um, counteracts the pH of the um, lye, and so it ends the burning and can, can very quickly um, stop any problems that you're having with it. So basically if you get lye on your skin, it hurts, and you pour uh, vinegar all over the area, so straight, straight white vinegar? Yeah, straight any vinegar. Oh, any vinegar, really? Yeah, any vinegar. I mean, I can't imagine you'd have the balsamic vinegar, but yeah, white or... or <laughs> <laughs> Some of my go- gourmet Austrian honey vinegar, yeah. yeah. So I think I'll use this to uh, put out, uh, you know, or, or <laughs> relieve myself from any burns. Now, just out of curiosity, if someone should burn themselves and you know folks let's face it it doesn't matter how skilled you are accidents do happen uh i I taught culinary arts for 12 years and you know sometimes you are overwhelmed and you're not paying attention and i have the scars to prove it (laughs) what do you do if and i'm sure this has happened to you many times kayla um and especially you being an expert, uh, things do happen. What do you do if you are burned? What What do you do immediately? Immediately you pour um, vinegar on it. And um, if you don't get relief, you know, that's a good time to call and call your doctor's office and say, you know, I got – and kind of describe where you are with it. And, um, and they might want you to come in. Um, I normally, I've never burned myself to that point, and I've gotten straight life likes on myself. Um, it, you know, I burn myself cooking, too, regular food. It's just part of part of life. Um, but, the, you know, the biggest thing is, like, when I have gotten it on, it's always been, like, I've, I have gloves on, but I had my sleeves up, and there's this tiny little bit of skin showing, and that part of skin is where it happens to land. So mm. a big key thing is just always having, you know, adequate safety gear on so that if you spill it, it doesn't, you don't get hurt. But um, the other thing is, like, if I've had uh, a lye burn and I've already done the vinegar and it's still still kind of tingling, it looks a little reddish, um, but not too bad, I'll just put lavender essential oil on it, and that will normally um, help with, you know, because sometimes the burn has already happened before you've already reacted, you know, gotten the lie off of your skin, and so you need to heal up the skin. And so I use lavender, and that's what I use in the kitchen as well if I burn myself, you know, with heat as well. Thank you so much. I'm sure that many people that are out there that either are currently producing their own soap or are looking to dabble in the in the industry uh, will find that very, very helpful. Now, if somebody wants to start out, approximately how much money would you say it's going to cost them as far as just getting their material, their basic materials together? I mean, how much money are we talking? Um, well, guys, that would have been a good thing to look at. We're selling the, um, we're selling kits of the products, so you can make a ten-pound batch. Oh, and nice. They're in the twenties or something like that. I'll have to quickly look online and see, um, but. But, you know, I, I think normally if you're going to start something, you can make all sorts of batches of products for less than $50 of, of all kinds of different bases. Um, and I should have looked at the three-in-ones. I mean, not three-in-ones. It's a melt and pour. Here we go. Um, we're selling these little kits, and it has all the stuff, all the ingredients, 
pre-measured. Um, so all you have to do is just follow the directions in the book and uh, see the 10-pound kit. And this, this is a great $30. fundraiser. $30. Yeah. And, and how much can you profit from a $30 investment? Well, you know, you, you normally sell soap in four to five ounces each. So, and soap often sells anywhere from four to seven dollars a bar, depending on where you are and what you put in it. So, um, that's trying to think. Um, I didn't quite do the math that's, on it, but definitely to double your money for sure. Oh, without a doubt. And for especially since it's that time of the year where uh, there are a lot of people that are looking to raise money for different college-related. Um, uh, needs that are rapidly approaching, or mm-hmm. even for different fundraising ideas to raise money. I know that in the month of August, there are a number of different initiatives where uh, teenagers and college kids will uh, have all sorts of different fundraisers. And the thing is, is that they wind up spending quite a bit of money just to have a very little return on the money that they're investing in these products. And this is something that can be a group activity that you can take a lot of pride in. And if it's something that works out, it can be something that can be handed down to each group that takes over the responsibilities of the fundraising initiative the following year. So, you know, whether it's something like that, the PTA. I know here in New York the fundraising activities are endless uh, ranging from car washes to buying T-shirts, all sorts of stuff. And especially here in New York, it's that time of the year where there are all the feasts. So whether it's uh, the Feast of San Gennaro or uh, the big feast, the, the I think it's the Oyster Fest that's up on the North Shore on the Gold Coast, um, now people everywhere participate in these events, and it's their opportunity to do to, to actually create something that is handcrafted where mm-hmm. they can actually make some nice side money. So, you know, it's something to really think about. Uh, now, in regards to the basic equipment, I just have a few questions for you. Uh, does mm-hmm. it really matter if you use stainless steel cooking pots? I mean, can you just can you use any old pot, or does it have to be the stainless steel? Um, it can be the stainless steel because um, the, the ingredients, can react with the um, the other metals, and they won't react with stainless steel. So lye can react with um, your other metals, and it will it may ruin your pot, but it'll also contaminate your product. And when it comes to cosmetics, you want to be um, ultra clean, and you can get uh, stainless steel or Pyrex or any of that kind of you know cookware completely clean. Whereas anything that's got that's porous. Um, there's a little bit of residue that hangs on into them. So I always recommend for for anything that you're always using, you know, any make-it-your-own cosmetics, um, stainless steel or Pyrex or any other um, glassware, cookware that can be um, sanitized. And that is especially important. It's just like with any type of activity. Uh, this is very true also with beekeeping. You don't want to use you don't want to use um, any type of supplies that are dirty that are not clean because uh, it will you'll pay you'll wind up paying one way or the other whether right. it's uh, you know dirty equipment or equipment that's old and really should be replaced. Uh, mm-hmm. The same thing for candy making. Uh, you know, I, I'm not trying to lump in all these different things together, but it's just any type of activity where uh, it's basically a hobby that you're potentially trying to decide, okay, do I want to go the distance and turn this into a business? When you're mm-hmm. working with your basic materials, they should always be clean. But my question now is, does it matter if they're brand new or can you actually recycle old equipment and put mm-hmm. it to good use? Yeah, definitely. You can buy most of our equipment. We We still buy used equipment um, from restaurant supply companies, things like that. I mean, one of our great 
um, containers that we manufacture in now thousand gallons. It used to make salsa. It's stainless steel. So when oh, wow. we got it, it was in perfect condition, and um, you know it it lasts over time. I've been doing demos of, um, of recipes from this book. I'm doing one this weekend in Alabama, and I've been traveling around with these two pots that we bought in 1999 to make our cosmetics way back when we were um, first getting started. They're in perfect condition, and they're still usable, and we still use them, you know, for, for small manufacturing in the in the lab, but they're working out perfect for doing my demonstrations because they're basically the size of a pot you would want to make this batch in. But when you buy quality ingredients, you know, supplies, they last, and that's the key thing is these pots are the original pots that we started our business with, and they're in perfect condition, and they're still being used, and they're still useful, and we bought them used at a restaurant supply company. So, Kayla, is it safe to say that when uh, you make it to worldwide fame, which, of course, being on the organic view is a key part of that, of course, uh, right. but once <laughs> once you come out with the Kayla Fiorvanti custom uh, signature line of uh, equipment, <laughs> you're still going to be sporting those two pots that you started out with way back when. I am, and I'll probably design them off of those two pots because they're <laughs> fabulous. <laughs> and they're they're actually just those stainless steel pots that people use for um, uh, they're like they use them as double broilers in in, um, in I can't think of that, buffet lines. You know, hmm. when when you're getting soup out of buffet line and the heat's coming up from underneath, that's what it is. Um, and so. If I were to make my own pots, it would be designed after those two pots, for sure. And they would be stainless steel. Well, that uh, that's something that I'm definitely looking forward to because you know, at that point, I will make uh, I'll actually be following you, I'll follow you along with uh, the kitchen chemistry series, mm-hmm. and I'll at that point venture out into the soap making business and try to see if I can make my own soap and. Uh, Obviously, you'll be getting a nice Christmas present with uh, your own <laughs> June Stoyer personalized soap. Excellent. <laughs> uh, uh, we're almost out of time, but I do have a few more questions. And the this next question pertains to the ingredients. Now, you list an overview, and it's quite an in-depth look at different ingredients that are necessary. Is there any particular ingredient that you would like to just touch upon briefly uh